Welcome to Fundamentally Human, a podcast about mental health topics unpacked in an easy to understand way. My name is Shervin and I'm your host. Let's get started. Today's episode highlights how mental health challenges are often quite invisible. It can be easy to look at someone and think that they're cheerful and bright without recognizing what their story is or what they've experienced. My own accident in 2013 is probably one of the most vivid memories I have, and it's something that has impacted me heavily and will continue to impact me for the rest of my life. But every time I'm able to talk about it and even to hear from other people has greatly helped my recovery. Today, Ove joins us to share her story, and I hope that it can help listeners continue to expand their empathy and their learning, regardless if they've had a similar experience. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Shervin. Um, it is an honor to be on your podcast. I was, I just spent the morning listening to yours, so your voice is beautiful on the, on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Trying to keep it calm here, <laughs> but... It's like I mentioned earlier, this is not an easy topic to talk about, no matter how long time has passed since any traumatic incidents we've been through. So feel free to share whatever is comfortable or safe for you, but I'm wondering if you can share your story. Yeah, um, Shivan, you know, I, I do want to thank you for having me here today, but usually I'm on the other side asking the questions. So this will be great <laughs> for sure. Um, make sure that uh, <laughs> if I start asking questions that you, you gear me away and um, guide me towards answering some of yours. Um, but I, I know you mentioned your accident in 2013 and uh, mine was in 2014 and uh, I was a pedestrian walking across the street and, and a car hit me and left. So it was a hit and run. And um, I spent about 10 days in induced coma, um, broke my pelvis, sacrum, and humerus. So there's about 12 screws in me and a large titanium plate. So um, now, when people, I guess, hear 10 days in just coma, um, you know, it's, it's not just 10 days. I, I thought of that too. I was like, what? how come I only remember, you know, I, I spent five or so weeks in the hospital, but how come I only remember like half a week of that? Because a lot of people don't know that they drug you up quite a bit. So um, I was pretty drugged up. And, before obviously, uh, and then uh, they tapered me off a lot of the drugs um, when I, I guess, was off of the officially, like 100% in induced coma. Um, and so I lost a lot of my um, time there. I would definitely say about four and a half weeks or so. Um, I don't remember uh, any of it. And then um, closer to the accident, I would say, um, anything that's sort of time before and after that's sort of closer to the accident. I have um, less of a, a strong memory, if that makes sense. Um, like my memories are not as vivid, they're not as 
strong, there's sort of a little bit light touch. Um, so my, my injuries are, you know, um, I, from a physical standpoint, um, I wasn't walking. I had to learn how to walk again. I had to, I was in a wheelchair for a bit. I did have, I didn't use crutches because I think I preferred the walker, you know, like, uh, with the movie up, that's always how I imagined it. Um, you know, grandmas with their walkers and learned how to write again, read again. I'm still working on the reading piece. Uh, running was uh, definitely difficult considering some of the screws in my pelvis and sacrum. And um, every night that I, I go to bed right now, I, I still feel them. So um, I do stretch before I sleep almost every night. But I think the main, the main injury, the main I don't want to say problem, but it is a problem to me. The main, I, yeah, the, the thing that was affected and harmed the most um, during the incident was my brain. And what I guess most people don't know um, for comas is um, not only are you high on drugs, also uh, they do drill a, a hole in your head. So when I first heard that, I was like, what? <laughs> but um, it's a very, 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 small drill not like a drill that you do you know that you use in hardware and construction or but um a very like a small thin little drill and they drill that hole into your head so they can release um pressure and the fluids um are coming up in your brain or your head i guess not your skull mm -hmm. i don't know is that is that um is that what you meant by explain what's what happened? <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for just sharing those details with all of us, because it's like you said, people think, oh, coma for 10 days, hospital lives for a bit over a month. That's what they might hear initially, but they might not recognize the recovery, how it might impact you physically and mentally. I remember when I saw you at Ultimate, I was so excited for you because I had heard about the snooze and this accident and you just don't realize how it changes someone's lifestyle and what they were doing before and after has changed. Mm -hmm. How has Thank the you. recovery been for you and how has it changed over the years since 2014? Yeah, you know, I, um, I'm just reading over your notes again and, um, it's funny because um, I think in the context of you starting out this podcast mm -hmm. and you, you know, you started it off with a little bit, well, not started it off. You, you brought some context into it by, you know, by bringing up and sharing a little bit about um, your 2013 accident, but, but, you know, your notes here says that, can you share your story? And I think a big part of, you know, quote unquote recovery has been that this isn't my story. The accident isn't me. Mm. You know, the incident doesn't make me, doesn't identify me. I, it is what happened in my life. It's something that I have experienced, but a big part of it is, obey. you're not defined by this accident. Um, and so, that has taken me a long time um and even now I struggle with it very much so because I need to remind myself okay like you know your injuries what you cannot do now 
is not who you are. I really like that. And thank you for pointing that out because it's so true. When I think about any news or media, a lot of people will say, well, what's your story? And it's almost glorified in a sense, but at the same time, it doesn't make you who you are or your identity. So it is so important that you brought that up. And I think moving forward, if I were to ask someone or had a similar situation, would you think a better way to say it is, can you tell me about your experience with this or what happened Mm -hmm. during this time? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm um, so, so, so I was reading your question again and I'm like, um, and so, oh, Shervin, like, like what part of my life would you like me to tell? Cause you know, mm-hmm. my story is quite long and I don't think I, I can, you know, and I don't think anyone can fit it in 45 minutes. I mean, even <laughs> maybe, 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 you know, a child, baby, they have lost years, but somebody who, who's experienced a lot more, um, definitely has hours and hours and hours and you know grandpas and grandmas they're, they're spending a lifetime almost um, telling their story so so I just wanted to remind people of that I guess is um, you know your incident or accident or however many of those things um, that you've been through doesn't make it who you are and so I'm sure people you know aren't just going through incidences accidents, um, traumatic events like I, you know, I spent a lot of time in the downtown east side in Vancouver. Sorry, I don't know if everybody here is from Vancouver, but Vancouver, Canada. And so I do see a lot of battered women and and men, and they go through um, experiences that um, that that I think that they carry with them forever. And and um, and sometimes it you know, you let that define you because you don't feel that you're worthy. And so for me, um, a big part of me, and I think you talked about this in your podcast specifically for, for like, I guess, just talking about you yourself and your story um, or your experiences. <laughs> um, you know, you were a perfectionist or OCD and growing up in an Asian family Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I do come from a Chinese family so um, my dad is from Hong Kong and my mom is from China so um, grew up in a fairly fairly traditional family Um, and I don't mean traditional like go be a doctor or go be a lawyer but I mean traditional like you know we brought you up to be a housewife so going back to my point of identity and not letting that define you um as a child I think growing up a a big part of the story or the narrative that I continue to tell myself is I need to be perfect or I need to do this best and I need to work super hard at it and you know I've been very fortunate you know thank God for the body that I've you know I've been born into you know the genes that I've had um my parents and all you know, I've been very fortunate that, uh, you know, I don't, haven't had any allergies or anything crazy um, uh, in terms of like my abilities are all, all, all intact. And so, so a big part of it, it was, I, I was a high achiever. I'm a, I'm a classic type A personality. <laughs> 
I was always good at what I wanted to do. But definitely after the accident, I let my injuries or I let I let the things that I could not do no longer define me. And even to this day, every moment that I live my life is almost like a it's not almost, it, it just depends on the day. Some days there's more reminders than others. But every time I do something that I was able to do before or you know, was part of my life before is a memory of what I have lost, is a memory of what I cannot do no longer. And, and I, you know, I hope, you know, I worked hard for it or, I, um, but of course, by the grace of God that I, that I was given that, you know, that talent, that gift. And now I feel like I've lost it. And so learning to work with this new body, <laughs> new mm. skills, new talent, um, that's been a journey. And yeah, it's definitely, it's a loss. It's tough. Thank you for sharing that. It's just hearing from you talk about how you grew up a little bit and about not letting it define you. It's such a great reminder that these incidents, experiences, it might impact or influence how your life is going, but it's not a definition of who you are. This is something I'm going to remember for a very long time. And I'm glad you took the time to talk about that. I know that you had a webinar for those who are interested in learning about it. It's on YouTube, but I can also link it in the episode description. Ove also mentions the five stages of grief. Are you able to explain part of this and how that relates to you? Thank you for bringing that up, Shervin. Uh, I did do a webinar with Brain Injury Canada. I, I did cry like live. Oh, <laughs> live! I think I cried <laughs> like several times. I'm like, oh my gosh, and people now see my ugly face. But no, but you know what? It's so it's real, right? Exactly. It's we're human, and it's it's um yeah, it's very it's very real. It's not Hollywood, so um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, the first time I brought it up was, was actually in an article um, that I wrote um, and, and with several other people editing it as well. Um, you know, a big part of my accident um, or that experience was the support that I received. Um, so very quickly while I was in a coma, um, my friends you know, we're able to set up an Indiegogo campaign, uh, crowdfunding campaign um, to help me pay for a lot of the bills that I would have after I come out, um, you know, when I come back home and such. And I know everybody is always like, um, what bills? In Canada, it's, it's free healthcare. It's true. It's free up to a certain point. It's free in, in certain clinics, like, you know, um, your family doctor and it's free in the hospital. It's uh, free if you can, you know, if you can get into a rehab center, if, if you don't have to wait two to five years, um, it's free. Uh, however, as soon as you come out, as soon as you're discharged and you go back home and, or um, you need extra help with uh, nursing or, and the equipment, especially to make your home more accessible, it costs, it costs quite a bit of money on top of um, you know, your rent or your mortgage, your car, your transportation. So 
I mentioned that in the five stages of grief because I wanted to definitely <laughs> and um, against the the wishes of, of of my care team and including my my lawyers. Um, you know, I wasn't I'm, I'm not really supposed to be talking too much about this, but but I am. I'm here talking about this experience, and I really wanted to thank the people and the support that I've had. And so I wrote several articles and one of those articles, um, I believe, you know, first I talked about my physical, you know, because my physical, like being able to stand and walk and weight bear, um, two was talking about, okay, well, you know, my main thing is, is really my brain, um, but in the cognitive piece, but the, the third article was to talk about the mental health piece and um, I actually try not to use the word mental health just because just um, the stigma around it. And, and mm -hmm. I wanted it to be um, accessible to those who refuse to, to, to even address mental health. You know, there's, there's people that sort of like, nope, I'm mentally well. I am good. I don't need any help. And yeah, no, we don't need to check on my mental health, right? So those those folks are, are the ones that I was um, hoping to talk to just because I, um, majority of my friends are also type A personality and high achievers, right? So high achievers who can achieve, who have the ability to at the moment in their lives, um, knock on wood, um, but they still can moving forward. But um, I mean, the thing that I learned was that and this is during my, you know, intensive rehab where I saw about eight, seven or eight therapists a week. Um, wow. And each therapist, like, for example, my physio, I would see three times a week or my SLP, my speech language pathologist, I saw three times a week. And on top of that, you know, when we downsized to two times a week, we saw my rehab assistant like three times a week. So, so um, you know, seven to eight therapists, but multiple times for a therapist my counselor I saw once you know maybe my doctor I saw once every two weeks but um this was when you know I went through a period of just like craziness and um yeah just understanding and just and and finally coming to terms or not coming to terms I'm still coming to terms but finally being able to accept that I am grieving finally accepting that you know what I am sad you know, I, I am upset. I am, you know, and that's also where I realized that it's like every single moment that I live my life is a reminder of what I lost. And so um, the grieving gets easier in the sense that, okay, um, I'm okay to cry now. You know, before it was like, nope, I'm not crying. Nope, nope, I'm holding it all in. I cannot cry. I need to be strong. But um but later on, you know, it's like, you know what, I'm going to cry. I'm just going to cry it all out. So I cry it all out. And then it's like, you know what, I feel so much better. And um, yeah, and it's okay. Uh, I think that's the biggest part is that um, the sooner you accept that you are grieving, the sooner you accept these emotions, the sooner you accept these feelings and allow yourself to feel them, the sooner it comes to pass. So and I think you mentioned this, Shervin, in, in your upbringing as an Asian or as, a, as for me, Chinese, 
you know, your feelings, what are emotions? You do what's right, right? You don't, you don't acknowledge them, like, let alone accept them, you know, you, you might feel. <laughs> but I think, I think though, um, hmm, another part of learning about the five stages of grief and, and spending time understanding how brain injuries correlate with that is that I didn't actually feel for a good period of time, for maybe a couple of years. I was sort of, hmm, how do I say it? Like, I don't want to say drugged, um, but I guess medically speaking, and you'll have to maybe give fill in some, some of the information, but according to my doctors and what I understand is that the chemicals in my body hadn't stabilized. So um, I wasn't necessarily feeling yeah, I lived in my head and I didn't live in my heart. It's so interesting how all this ties in together. The chemicals do impact how we might think or feel. And maybe a more obvious one is dopamine, where let's say when you're drinking alcohol, it causes dopamine to be released which is in charge of those high or happy feelings. So if there's a part of your brain or your body that's not releasing the dopamine, then it's going to affect your mood. And that's why people take medications like antidepressants or they use alcohol or substances to help with coping or to feel a certain way to not feel other things. And that also ties in with grief because grief is a chance, like you said, to feel sad to recognize that something has happened to you that has made you feel low or that it was a negative experience when you're feeling that grief would you say for you it was almost like a relief to feel again yeah you know I didn't know that I wasn't feeling <laughs> um but just thinking back of the different, you know, events or experiences that I've been through. And I don't know, so Shervin, like, thank you again for this opportunity, because I do feel like I need to redeem myself. Um, I did, so I was discharged um, a few weeks before I did my TEDx talk, and I was only allowed to walk one week. I was only allowed to win 100% weight bear, like in both my legs, um, weight bear, meaning like I can put all my pressure in my legs or, or my feet a week before the TEDx talk. And, and my memories had not come back yet. So, and my emotions or feelings, like it was so, um, everything was a fact. Again, by the grace of God, I was able to put that talk together, but I didn't, I didn't feel like it was my, my best performance. Maybe that's the perfectionist in me speaking, but um, you know, going back to my calendar items and I, I am again, OCD about my calendar. So like you, Shervin, I, I don't <sighs> have three though, or four, I actually have only one. So I can happily share my tips and tricks if, if you want after this podcast, but I, I'm thankful that I put everything in my calendar, everything. And, um, I kept track of a lot of, of a lot of things like work related, um, by email. So, um, I was able to track things down and, but I didn't have any emotion. Like I was looking back, I'm like, why does this talk this look so weird? Like it just, because I wasn't speaking from my heart. I wasn't speaking as if I was attached to these memories. 
And I, you know, I thought, then I started to think about, okay, you know, my friend's birthdays or my friend's weddings, like I went, but for some reason, I, it wasn't, it was almost like it's numb. And so um, I want to say, though, I do want to say um, that was actually maybe a blessing in disguise. And, um, but, but when I was focused on rehab, when I, you know, um, on, on those couple of years, that's when I felt it all. That's when I accepted my emotions and started to feel and, um, yeah. And I think, uh, sorry, I know we're ranting a little bit, but I know you talked a little bit about the five stages of grief. And I think, you know, as soon as I could even walk and as soon as I could sort of coordinate, uh, whatever I could coordinate, um, and I'm thankful that I'm high functioning right now. I'm very, very grateful that I'm high functioning. Um, that that I I left. I left Vancouver, and I I think I was running away from my feelings. Like looking back now, I, I it was my way to to like delay it. You know, delay having to deal with this. Delay my rehabilitation. Delay having to address like and tackle the loss that I have um, and being in a new surrounding. So I moved to Hong Kong and then to Taiwan, being in a new surrounding, having new experiences, sort of, hmm, I don't want to say dismissed, but delayed me feeling the loss and delayed me having to be reminded of what I lost also exploring what I lost because I didn't explore what I had lost. Like I didn't know I wasn't doing the same things I was doing before. So I, you know, I wasn't able to compare um, myself. It's like the, the me now and the me before. So um, I, I waited until I was ready mentally, emotionally, and where I felt supported um, to come back and, and be able to tackle that. So, and it's truly something that doesn't just happen overnight or after a week or after a month. And for everyone, they have a different way of dealing with grief or with a situation that was traumatic for them. And those five stages of grief are denial, then anger, then bargaining, depression, and lastly, acceptance. And I find that sometimes even you could go through one stage before the other, and it doesn't always go in order because that's just how life works. <laughs> even if we have these descriptions of disorders or illnesses, whatever it may be, not everything will go the order that it might typically be. Yeah, no, it's, um, um, I think the biggest learning for me the five stages of grief is that you have to go through each one and then I'm not too sure I've been through anger just yet um or maybe I have been through anger but you know it could be for a second or a minute or an hour right but maybe um sadness is something that I have to experience for five years 10 years 20 years um that's one. And then the second thing is that you can go through multiple stages, multiple times. Hmm. And so um, definitely denial might have been the first one, right? <laughs> um, 
me running away. It's like, well, no, I can still do the same things, but in a different location, <laughs> you know, um, I can still live my life and still have the lifestyle I want, but in a different location, I can still achieve the things that I would like to achieve just in a different context or yeah, environment. But I learned it the hard way. And I hope that by sharing this experience and for those who are listening and even for myself, I'm so inspired by what you've had to say. And it's always so much learning to hear from other people because it can be so easy to focus on what you've experienced in your personal bubble. And I mean, we see these headlines of these things happening to people, but we don't really understand what's going on when you're in that coma, what's going on after you're getting discharged. The fact that you had to see so many therapists in one week and how long that's been, how your screws in your pelvis still impact how you sleep. We don't see those when we're reading the news. And I think it's so important to hear about these things because it just broadens our perspective more and our understanding more of what might be going on behind the scenes. And I would be curious to learn, what's the question that you get the most often? And then on the flip side, what do you wish people ask you instead? Yeah, that's a good question. And thank you for bringing that up because (laughs) uh, I think, you know, Hmm. A combination of me delaying, delaying me having to deal with this, you know, when I moved back, I think, and maybe because it was sudden for me to move away so soon, right? So, so right afterwards, right? Or, um, or it seems like right after the incident, but coming back, you know, every corner street and maybe because I live downtown, but I, I, I bumped into people and, you know, the first thing they say is like, you know, oh my gosh, like, how are you? You look okay. Like you're walking, you look great. You look normal. You know, you're back to the old Ove. And so that already, that expectation in their head, I, I feel like, you know, they're like, oh, it's like visibly she looks great or she looks like things are good. Um, and and so that's usually the first question that is like, how are you? I'm like, are you okay? Or you know what, how are you okay? I think the biggest thing is is when people are like, well, tell me what happened. Like, oh my so, goodness. <laughs> you know, what 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 did you go through? Like, I want to hear everything. And of course, you know, I, I think this is the part. It's like it's a I wanna say, hmm. One of my one of my <laughs> things is word finding. So cognitively speaking, word finding is difficult for me. But there's a good thing and bad thing about crowdfunding. And one of the things as yeah. a recipient, um, I'm so grateful. And I I again, that money was gone so quickly, just with the amount of amount of therapists I, I require and, and even just living expenses while I spent dedicated to rehab is also that I, I feel like I owe people everything, mm. my life, right? And all the time and um, a lot, I mean, I, I thanked everyone, I hope, I'm pretty sure I remember doing that. Um, I thanked everyone that I could see on the Aiden Dugo campaign, like their names, right? But th- 
there are a lot of people that were anonymous or people that were friends of friends. And, and so I don't want to take that for granted. And um, I also want to be kind to others and thankful to others so that, you know, it could be sort of like, a, you know, when you, when you're young, it's always saying like you pass it on. Right. So you pay it mm-hmm. forward. If they ask, if they genuinely, or if they seem genuine, to me, everyone seems genuine. <laughs> um, then I pour my heart out, right? I I tell them the same things that you know um, they're asking, like, "How are you? What happened? What what's going on? Can we meet for lunch? Can we meet for coffee? Of course we can, you know." And I'll go ahead and dump it all out, you know, spend the last however many years, like four or five years, um, you know, sharing that, and then I share them about my current struggles, my my, you know, the things that I'm um, living with now, um, the things that I'm dealing with now. And this is during the period of me just coming back and dedicating full time, 100% to rehab. And then I never hear from them again. Like maybe wow. like a thank you, <laughs> like a thank you, like uh, it's so great seeing you, blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, it's not like I got invited to another coffee or another lunch. It's not like I was in, you know, in corp- like in, you know, I know everybody has their lives, but that was it. It was like very transactional. And, and maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe um, I need to go ahead and tell my story, but it is, it is painful for me to go through that every time. It's not, sorry, you know what? Um, it's painful and it's exhausting. Yeah. I think mentally, emotionally exhausting. It drains me. Cause I just relived the entire experience again. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And then, and then, and like, I, you know, I truly take it as you're a friend and somebody who cares for me, but, but, but action, you know, I always have to remind myself, obey, like that person didn't contact you again, didn't message you again, didn't check in on you and didn't even offer to help you with your struggles or, or those who do offer, they don't truly understand. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can pick you up. I can drop you off. But, you know, okay, you've done your deed. And now they feel good about themselves. So they're sort of like, okay, I've done my good deed of the day, like, or good deed of the month. Like, all right, we're good. We're good. But they don't realize that this is ongoing need. Like, it's not that I just need it one time. It's, it's every week or it's every two weeks or however many times I need to see my therapist. And so it is a very lonely journey. Um, it's lonely and um, nobody else knows what else you're going through or dealing with. And yeah, um, what I would, sorry, I know your other question was um, to ask, what should I, you know, what could be a, a better way um, is for me, I think is um, how can I help, you know? Yes. Um, what can I do for you? Yeah, and, and I think that's, um, yeah, because I mean, the other thing is I, I could answer or the, the, the person could answer and the person who asked could be like, okay, I can't do that, but you know what? I assume know somebody else who can or they could band together. They can, you know, find a few other people or they could say, hey, I can't help you every week, but I can do it once a month. Would that be helpful? As a community, and I don't, I don't know, Shervin, if we've talked about this, mm-hmm. but I am Christian. So um, in a Christian community or 
you know, in a community, and a community is defined as just people living together, living their lives together, right? So as people who live their lives together, um, I think being kind is, and, and being loving, that's, you know, that's almost, that's, a, that's a, one of the 10 commandments, right? So yeah, I, I think that would be one, my way, at least I hope I answered your question. I'm just ranting now. <laughs> no, you did. And I had a different episode with someone named Enoch and his family went has gone through and is still going through quite a difficult situation with his brother being diagnosed with cancer over and over again Mm -hmm. but something he said about what helps is just being able to have something concrete and that actually after talking to him it's helped me a lot to understand what I can do to reach out to friends who might be in need instead of saying oh I'm here for you it's much more powerful to say something like, it's like what you said, I can drive you once a month or did you eat yet today? Can I bring you Mm -hmm. some food? Or Mm -hmm. would you like to go for a walk today rather than leaving it so out in the open? Because it's it's so hard for people to take the next step and say, well, actually, can you help me with this? But if you're giving Mm -hmm. them the chance to take that and not just say, okay yeah uh, you'll help me with whatever oh sure that person's probably never going to ask you for help but if you're saying hey do you want to go for a meal today if you haven't eaten Mm -hmm. it gives them a better opportunity to reach out for support or to say yes or no because you've shown that this is what you can do Mm -hmm. Enoch that's a good way of putting it I, I am I do know Enoch so, um, and I did uh, check in with him. We actually are taking the same the same Bible class. Um, so, mm. um, <laughs> so I am familiar with the situation. And and um, oh man, I don't know if I'm allowed to, to say it here, but one of the things that annoys me the most um, amongst Christians is, oh, I can I can pray for you, you know. And and um, it almost feels like I poured my heart out, and then okay, I'll, I'll be thinking of you, right? In the, in the non-Christian Christian way, um, it would be like, oh, okay, cool. I, I'll be thinking of you. You're in my heart. And, and that's fine. And that's great. Um, prayers do work. Um, but at that moment in time, <laughs> when I need something, right? Or um, when I'm in that situation where, yeah, where I could use all the help that I could get, it's um it's not easy to hear so so yeah something concrete would be nice something um yeah like I can do this or I can't do that but I can find you somebody else who can or even then it's like well how can I help right um so so it's like okay I can't drive you that once a week but how else can I help right maybe I could make you food and then drop it off you know one time a month right um yeah it, it is it is interesting. It's definitely so eye-opening, especially when you mentioned about how people might do that once, uh, one kind thing, one deed, and they feel good about themselves, but okay, so what's next? And it's not so much like, oh, you have to help me every time, once a month, 
or whatever, but it's like, it could even be just checking in with a message or showing that you care in some way. Mm -hmm. And maybe some people might find it selfish, but that's what relationships are, what friendships are. It's not just about, okay, I've checked it off my list. I did the one thing and it's all good. I got what I wanted. Mm -hmm. My curiosity about what happened to Ove has been satisfied. I did Mm -hmm. something nice to her. I painted it back. But no, Mm -hmm. trauma is long lasting. Trauma affects people in so many different ways. You know, you brought it up. uh, I think um, the next time you ask somebody, how are you? Or the next time you're about to, I think I tell my friends, like, are you asking for you? Or are you asking for them? You know, are you asking for yourself to satisfy your curiosity because you want to know? Or are you loving and thinking about them? Like, is this what they need right now? Do they want to talk? Like, maybe if they're in the mood to talk, they want to get it off their chest, you know, um, and, and you know, your friends, you're the best, right? So does this person need to get this off their chest? And are you prompting them to do that? Or are you, you know, giving them more anxiety and stress um, because you're bringing up this, you know, not so great experience again? I love how you said that. Are you doing it for you or for them? And I hope this settles in with the listeners here to actually think about, well, why am I asking them? And on that note, I read this in a book with Sheryl Sandberg and how she lost her husband. People are always saying like, oh, how are you doing? What's going on? How have you been? But that, well, how have I been? I haven't been great is what she said when she lost her husband. But it's different when you can say, how are you doing today? Because every day looks different. Maybe she's having a better day and she's not reminded of her husband so often that day, but other days it might be even worse, maybe on her husband's birthday. So when I read that, it made me think, wow, just adding that one word today is so powerful and effective. And those small little things will sit with someone and impact them in ways you might not know people don't necessarily remember all the things you say but they remember the way you make them feel yes Mm -hmm. it's um interesting you know and going back again I guess almost not full circle yet but um just going back to what we talked about the five stages of grief like just because I'm okay today does not mean I'm okay tomorrow. Once the sooner you accept that, the sooner you accept, because it's traumatic, like that's something you carry with you for your whole life. Don't let it define you, but it is something that happens. It is something like, so you can't ignore it. You can't sort of be like, that didn't happen. You know, know, that, um, so acknowledging that it happened, acknowledging that it is part of you, incorporating it into your life and whatever way that might mean so for me like stretching before I sleep every night is um, the only way I can keep my you know body from being too stiff um my pelvis and my sacrum um or uh having to tell my story over and over again like you know putting myself in a 
in a successful situation where, for example, uh, I'm feeling good today or I scheduled that and I'm like, you know what, I'm ready to talk about my story. So like, for example, today, right, I know that I scheduled something afterwards that I, it's going to, it's going to bring me up. It's going to, it's going to help, you know, either distract me or, or help me on a positive note, because I know that I'll be mentally drained from this. But um, building that, incorporating that into your life, that accepting that, accepting that this is the new you, accepting that, and, and I mean, technically you're a new you every day, right? Yeah. Every second, really. (laughs) Yeah, every second, every experience. Accepting that this is the new normal, accepting, and and you know what, I I know COVID came and gone and, uh, well, not gone yet completely, but the webinar, I actually had, um, and I'm really fortunate to have um, uh, the CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association um, just help coach me on that, uh, Johnny, Johnny Morris. We actually had come up with the term new normal <laughs> before all the news picked up on it. But um, that was uh, understanding and knowing that this is my new normal, that I will be sad one day and I will be upset another and, you know, I will be happy another. That's okay. And it's okay to, let's say for, you know, for Cheryl Sandberg to think about her husband one day and not think about him the other or, and to think about the loss to think about the game, that is your new normal. And, and when people say, you know, they've had a tough time with COVID and um, I think that's also why mental health has become such a big forefront, like, you know, the forefront of a lot of, a lot of, um, at least in healthcare is, oh, okay, great. You know, like, you know, for you, COVID was traumatic, but it took months, you know, months and we saw it coming. We, we saw it in other countries. But for me, it was in a split second. For others, it was split seconds or maybe hours, right? So imagine what you just experienced, but now like intensify that. <laughs> so now you know, you know what we've gone through or the, the emotions or understanding. And I think people are more empathetic now because they have gone through COVID. And, and with so mental bad. health being more prioritized, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even you know, in the Chinese community, I think people are starting to realize mental health, which is I didn't think that it would ever be a priority or even something that they would know. I like that the conversation around mental health is changing, especially now with the newer generations like myself being born here and explaining mental health in a different way with my own family and parents. I don't think we're always ever going to really see eye to eye, but it's getting there. And something you just mentioned that I wanted to touch on is on the word normal. I think that normal can bring so much pressure to someone. And, mm. and I'll give an example in substance use, um, because I've been working in substance use for a few years now. One of the phrases or descriptions I hear the most is, oh, I'm a high functioning alcoholic, or I can do normal mm. things, even though I drink alcohol. And well, normal is so different for everyone. And for someone, it could be drinking one bottle of a wine a week is normal. But for other mm-hmm. people, normal is just drinking something when they're out with friends at a restaurant and they just don't drink at home. 
normal looks so different for everyone. And just because what's normal for you might not be normal for someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's just like what you said about using the word like, oh, what's your story as a definition of who you are? Well, that's not normal is also a way to define someone else. But it could be saying, well, what's your definition of this? Or how does this look like for you? How does your day to day look like? What does your exercise look like? Some people, it could be lifting weights or other people, it could be running. Normal is so different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And there might be a standard of what might be quote unquote normal, but at the end of the day, if someone does or says something that might not align with you, then I think it's safe to say that their definition of normal is different from yours. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for um, bringing that. Um, I uh, was going to say that like, it's my new normal or, or your new normal, right? Mm-hmm. And again, your new normal, your normal can change the minute that you, you want it to, right? You can change that normal. It doesn't have to be your normal. Um, of course, there's, there's some realities like, like, you know, if you're, if you cannot walk anymore, then that is unfortunately uh, the reality of your new normal. However, your normal may look different um, in the sense that you can um, you can choose what it's how you respond you know it's how you respond to these traumatic events like you could choose to be happy or you could choose to be um, you know angry and hold grudges and whatever that may be whatever that looks like to you but it's very subjective for sure and I think one of the other good things that have come up besides people recognizing that their mental health is actually, you know, a big deal um, is that everybody's normal looks different. You know, the least you can do is listen. Some people may be able to like actually understand because they've been through a similar experience, um, but also everybody's experiences are different. So even though, you know, Shervin, you and I, you know, we can go on the same hike, but in a different week or a different hour or a different year, it could be a different experience because mm-hmm. that, that hike may now be after a rainy day, or maybe for me, it was a dry day or, um, for you, you know, there's definitely trees coming down or, um, now my, my that same hike has, is a bit more, I don't know, cleaned up or there's now new rocks and so I can also hike the same hike, but every time I hike that hike, it's different, slightly different, maybe not as traumatically different, but slightly different. That makes a lot of sense. It's just like how we both had accidents, but they are different experiences and different way of coping, different way of what happened, how support looks like. So it's, I'm really glad we touched on this topic because it's important for people to recognize that just because someone has a similar experience, it might be a different one too. And on that note, I also wanted to mention that you don't have to have gone through a similar experience to not understand or relate. I try not to use those words because it's not always about relating, but just being able to listen to someone is a way to show support. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to relate to them. 
and it's just another way to build empathy it's just like okay I use this example a lot doctors don't need to have cancer in order to treat a patient with cancer it doesn't make them maybe less or more relatable it doesn't make their care better or worse they've gone through the schooling to help someone with cancer to do rehab or to um, heal them and I think it goes the same with our own life experiences it's true I mean our you know our doctors or whatever therapists may have gone through school but I think what makes them different or unique is often when they can empathize yes um and and you know and and also I don't mean relate but build a relationship with you by being human you know so that they're not elevated or on a different level or um there's that wall and barrier because it's you know, if they're like, they're right all the time, whatever they say is always right. And their lives are, you know, um, there's nothing wrong in their lives. Um, then it makes it harder to relate um, or, or to build that relationship. Um, but the minute that they start to share some of their life with you as well, right? Because it does feel a little bit lopsided when I'm like, I dump everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's a service and I know there's some sort of like, they need to, to definitely... Um, they need to sometimes I feel like I feel bad um you know especially for my counselor I have no idea how they do it it's definitely a skill but um to be able to separate uh, their lives from ours right because for me on a personal level uh, I take my friends problems when they share them and I make it a little bit my own <laughs> not healthy not healthy that's for sure but I I know that that's something that I do and so that I know that I I can appreciate that they've obviously built a skill or, or maybe building that skill to separate their professional um, lives and their personal lives. But I'm thankful and grateful when they, they share a little bit of their life so that I can see that they're human too. I like that you talked about the relationship and that's actually something in therapy that we try to do. It's important to build rapport, to have a therapeutic relationship. That's the term that we use. And sometimes Mm -hmm. a little bit of self-disclosure can be helpful for our clients to recognize that we're also human and we've been through some experiences that we might not understand, but we can share that so you feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And we've touched on so many great topics today from grief, from talking about experiences rather than stories to providing concrete situations where you can help someone rather than saying well okay let me know if you need help are there any final words or anything you would like to plug with the audience today Ove? I hope uh me sharing throughout that there there's yes. I hope that they were all plugged <laughs> I yeah I'm like oh I hope what I said were all at least nuggets of, of truths and things that you guys can take away but you know I definitely I'm grateful um, and I hope everybody else here who does live in BC or in Vancouver or even on the West Coast because mental health is actually a priority here. In other parts of the world, I don't even know if it's something that people are aware of or, or understand, right? Like, like they may throw around the words a few times or so, but they don't 
truly really know um, what they're referencing or understanding. So, so I just encourage people to continue to talk about it. Um, if you don't know, that's okay. You could just be like, hey, you know what? Maybe somebody you trust or, or you know, somebody that you, you feel comfortable around, just be like, hey, what is mental health? Like, can you tell me a little bit, you know, and, and maybe what is, it's, it's like, we can tell you what it is in terms of a more factual way. But I think if you ask for an example of what, where you feel like uh, mental health is a, is a, plays a big part in your ex in experience, that might be helpful. Um, so if people can share their experiences and start educating more people on what mental health is, I think that would be helpful and being open to be able to share and talk about it. So just talking about it, I think that's, that's step yes. one. Step two would be to get yourself like informed, right? And um, so maybe look into it. And so the Canadian Mental Health Association, so CMHA, um, has some good resources on what is mental health. And um, they actually have a really great program, um, especially during COVID. And not, it's not just for COVID, but it's about building resilience. And I think that's something, um, I think, it, yeah, that is something that I do talk about in, in um, the TED Talk. But um, the more resilient you are, I think, the quicker you are able to go through this process. Um, and I think every time, every person has to go through this process, whether it's a five minute process or a five year process, um, you know, five stages of grief and then accepting it and then accepting that this is your new normal and um, being okay with it. And um, yeah, and so they have a great program called Bounce Back. and. It's, uh, they, they have all these tools, it's guided, um, it's also lots of coaching, um, and you would be supported also by others in, um, it could be in your class, um, you could do this sort of online, in person, and um, yeah, I know that this is all over BC, I hope, um, I'm not too sure about the more rural communities, but at, at least in Vancouver, there's a, a ton of that um, going on, and yeah, so one, talk about it, be open to talking about it or, or ask questions and two, inform yourself. So start educating yourself and start building resilience. Those are really great things to keep in mind, especially with the resilience piece on how you're able to <laughs> funnily enough bounce back <laughs> from a situation <laughs> when you're building that resilience muscle. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your experience with us. Thank you for having me, Sharon. And to support my podcast and help reach others, please follow and share it with anyone who is looking to learn a bit more about mental health. For any listeners who are visual learners or would like some more resources, I invite you to read my blog posts on Sherwin.ca and to follow my Twitter at HelloSherwin for updates. Take care.